Amen. Awesome. Might you have a seat? The ushers can come forward. I encourage you to give as part of your worship, whether you do it in paper or online. If you're a guest with us, please just let the basket go by. Hang on to that connection card. Fill that out. Bring that to the information table later. That would be awesome. My name's Dave. I'm one of the pastors at Mountain View and a guest here today. So glad to be down with you at Sunnyside. Filling in for the last Sunday before Pastor Ken is back after his sabbatical, so he's back in the saddle on Tuesday morning, and I know we'll be amped and full of energy uh, next Sunday to come and fellowship and share the Word with you again. We're starting a three-week series uh, called Family Habits, talking about communion and baptism, so we have one message on communion today and then two on baptism, as you already heard, for the next couple of weeks. And so we're focusing our whole message on the topic of communion. Typically, when we take communion, which is about once a month at the beginning of the month, we're doing it the very last Sunday this time, we share a scripture and do what we would call a little devotional, right? A little teaching for a couple of minutes about what communion is. And today we're going to look at, a, at it from a, a bigger picture, take more time to talk about what we actually do and what it means for us to celebrate communion. Lots of things like communion that are done repetitively can become sort of stale habits, and we forget what, what they really mean. Communion is based on Jesus enjoying what we call the Last Supper, His last meal with His disciples before His crucifixion. Called the Last Supper and immortalized in this famous painting by Leonardo da Vinci about 500 years ago, or almost, um, that many of us have seen before, probably the most famous religious painting in the whole world has been reproduced many, many times. It's actually a huge fresco in an old church in Italy, and uh, it doesn't look nearly as colorful as most of the versions that we've seen uh, hanging in homes. How many of you, either in your home or maybe your grandma's home or your aunt's or something like that, there was a picture of the Last Supper? Like, just kind of see who... So there's some awareness still. What's wrong with the rest of you guys? What was going on? What's hanging on your walls? No, it's, it's okay. It's not... It's not like, you know, if you got that picture up, that means you're a Christian or something like that. But it was very common to have that in homes, certainly a couple of generations ago. So common that it's really become um, not just iconic, it's become parodied, right? It's become a pop culture reference. And so I've got a, a picture of one of those references there. If uh, Oh, yeah, see, there's actually a few laughs, and the first service was just dead quiet. I, I wasn't quite sure, is this too irreverent to... Uh, I don't know. I thought that was kind of funny. Bugs Bunny's there in the middle, and it uh, looks like Daffy Duck, but it's not Daffy Duck because he's sitting right beside him. Anyways, Wiley Coyote there, he looks really hungry. You can find superheroes. You can find uh, Super Mario Brothers. You can find uh, uh, Last Supper with all kinds of different characters. They're, they're kind of funny. Anyways, and then there's the, uh, the original, and that's actually a recolor touched up. Like I said, the, the original is much more faded than that, but uh, that's the original painting, and that's stylized, obviously. That's not, you know, exactly what it looked like, but uh, gives you a sense of this gathering of Jesus and His disciples to share this final meal, and it's really what communion is based on, because it was during that time that Jesus reinterpreted what was called the Passover, right? The Jews celebrate the Passover to celebrate the deliverance from slavery in Egypt, and it's an amazing story. You can read about that in Exodus. And that's what Jesus and his disciples are gathered to celebrate. And Jesus gives it whole new meaning because he now is becoming the Lamb of God. He's becoming the sacrifice, not just for the Jewish people, but for all who would put their faith in him. But like that picture, it can become a little bit meaningless, right? If you just see it on the wall all the time and never think about it, it turns into pop culture kitsch. 
And sometimes we can do the same thing with communion, just this thing that we do when we come to church. Yeah, we participate, whatever, and we just kind of go through the motions. And that should not be because communion's amazing. Uh, it's filled with power. It's filled with meaning, and we're going to look at what a number of those are. So a couple of things communion's not. It's not just some, you know, pop culture thing. It's, it's not some magic ritual, right? Uh, you don't come and, and somehow imagine that there's something magic in the bread and magic in the juice that if I take it, Jesus loves me or I'm good with God or whatever. It's just a piece of bread. It's just a piece of juice. It has no, you know, in turn, it didn't come from a magic loaf, right? It wasn't grown by magic beans. Uh, that's not what we're doing. Uh, we don't believe that at, as we're slicing up the bread and getting ready to serve it, that somehow it miraculously turns into the actual body of Jesus and the actual blood of Jesus. Right? That's taught by the Catholic Church, and that's an interesting idea, but it's simply not found in Scripture. It's taking some of the words of Jesus when He's challenging people, and we'll look at those, about accepting Him, and it's turning them into this doctrine. That's not what Jesus is teaching when He's actually teaching His disciples to take communion. So there's nothing magic about the elements themselves, right? And it's not simply a habit that we do. Uh, because, well, you know what, that's what Christians do. That's what you do to ch- you, when you go to church, so that's what I do. No, no, it's meant to come from the heart. There are lots of family habits that we have. Nothing particularly good or wrong with them, but they're just habits. They don't have any deep meaning. When I was growing up, um, I, I met Connie, my wife, uh, very young, and, and when we dated in uh, high school and then got uh, married, I waited for her to turn 20 before we got engaged. And um, one of the great joys, uh, I think, of getting married young is getting to experience your, your spouse's family and getting to know them. Uh, and because you learn so much about your spouse through their family, right, and how, how that family functions if you get to kind of sit in and be a part of it. So around mealtime, my family and Connie's family, very different. So in my family, my, both, both moms were, were at home uh, a lot and, and did the cooking and stuff. My mom, always tons of food, Right. The amount of food was irrelevant with regards to how many people were around the table, right? It was just a mountain of it, lots. You could eat plenty of seconds, always leftovers. It's always one of my favorite meals, especially like leftover spaghetti. Like spaghetti tastes better the next day, doesn't it? I don't know what that is. Something magic happens in the fridge overnight. It's just, it's always better. I don't know. So always a mountain of food. I come over to Connie's house, and I'm just a a teenager at this point, and um, they're sitting down for dinner, and uh, I get to be a part of it, and... I'm like, wow, that does not look like a lot of, I didn't say it out loud, I just thought it, wow, that doesn't seem like very much food. And I realized that every, as everybody was uh, serving themselves, you know, you, you, you took the plate of, uh, you know, potatoes or meat or vegetables, whatever, and then you sort of, you divided it up by how many people who were still going to take, and then that's how much you took, right, to be reasonable. So the last person took the last serving of whatever that was, the plate's empty, and you do that with all the food. So all the food's been served. You have a plate of food, and that's what you're going to eat. And I'm like, uh, I'm thinking, what about seconds? <laughs> I have a plate of food, but what about the second plate of food? <laughs> so for some reason, Connie's family was, is very thin and fit, and mine is overweight. I'm not sure if there's any <laughs> correlation to that. I resist the idea that there's any causation there, but no, it probably is, right? So... Actually, her habit, family habit, was better. But, you know, it's, it's irrelevant whether, whether there's lots of leftovers or not. It's just, it's just a family habit. It's just how, how moms cooked, 
uh, in their cases. Communion's not just a family habit. It's not just something, well, it's just what Christians do. No, we do it because it's filled with meaning, because Jesus loaded it with purpose when He first taught His disciples. So, let's take a look at what some of those are. We'll start with remembrance and proclamation. That's point number one in your outline. I'm going to invite you to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. It's in the New Testament. We're going to look at a few passages. I do encourage you to use your Bibles, read along with me, become familiar with what the Scriptures say about communion. I'm going to read from chapter 11 in the book of 1 Corinthians uh, in the New Testament. And again, you can always use your index the front of your Bible, just like any good book. It's got a good index. We're in chapter 11 and verse 23. And these are the most common verses that we typically read when we introduce communion together month to month. The Apostle Paul says this in verse 23, For I pass on to you what I received from the Lord Himself. On the night when He was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. Then He broke it in pieces and said, This is my body which is given for you. Do this to remember me. In the same way, He took the cup of wine after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant between God and His people, an agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this to remember me as often as you drink it. For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are announcing the Lord's death until He comes again. So there's a remembrance and proclamation in communion, right? Jesus says, do this to remember me. And Paul starts with, this is what Jesus did on the night that He was betrayed. The night of His betrayal, the night before His death. And what we remember chiefly in communion is we remember the death of Jesus on the cross and what that death achieved for us. We remember His betrayal on that night. We remember a night and a day of suffering before He was crucified. We remember that suffering on the cross, and we'll celebrate and really focus on that on Good Friday as we come up to Easter here in just a few weeks. We take time to remember that. And then we also remember that He rose from the dead, right? That He appeared to His disciples, right? That He taught them, that He was taken up into heaven, that He sits at the right hand of the Father today. All those things together we remember. There's a big fancy theological word that we use for that, and I think it's good for us just as regular, you know, non-professional theologian Christian folks to use, and that's called the atonement. All that what Jesus achieved we call together the work of the atonement, right? The atonement. We sometimes use the word to atone, not too often, but it's to pay for sin, right? You atone for sin. You've got to do something to make that right. And the atonement is Jesus making it right for us, for our sins. Uh, I think it's a good word, and it encompasses all that we remember when we celebrate communion. And then it says that we proclaim the Lord's death until He comes, right? We're proclaiming the gospel. The good news is about the death and resurrection of Jesus. And sometimes the Bible simply uses one aspect of the atonement, like the death of Christ, to talk about all of it. It's not just that Jesus died for our sins. It's obviously that He died and He also rose again from the dead. But we announce that every time we take communion. We're acting out the gospel message that we're supposed to share, that we preach, that we model. There is this sense in which we really dramatically act it out when we take communion because that bread symbolizes the body of Jesus given for us, and the blood symbolizes the new covenant poured out for us, even as Jesus said in those verses. So, remembrance and proclamation, that's part of what we do. Second is communion and fellowship. 
I'm going to read some more verses from 1 Corinthians, just this time starting in chapter 10. So just one or two pages back in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. This aspect of communion and fellowship, that is what we do together as the church. This is in verse 14, I'll start in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Again, the Apostle Paul speaking, he says, My dear friends, flee from the worship of idols. You're reasonable people. Decide for yourselves if what I'm saying is true. When we bless the cup at the Lord's table, okay, when we're together to take communion, when we bless that cup, aren't we sharing in the blood of Christ? And when we break the bread, aren't we sharing in the body of Christ? And though we are many, we all eat from one loaf of bread, showing that we are one body. Think about the people of Israel. Weren't they united by eating the sacrifice at the altar? To which that rhetorical question, the answer is yes, they were made one. So when we take communion, right, we're showing that we're the body of Christ, that we're actually a people gathered together as the church. But communion also makes us that people, right? He says, weren't the people of Israel, weren't they actually made one by gathering together and eating from the sacrifice? Yes, they were. Are we made one when we gather together and take communion and eat symbolically from the one loaf? Yes, we are. Communion actually does the unifying, even as it's also an expression of the unification that we already enjoy as believers. And that's very different for a lot of us, right? A lot of us perceive church as a place to go for individual spiritual fulfillment, right? I have a relationship with Jesus. I go to church to help fulfill that growth need that I have with my relationship with Jesus. And some of us, we haven't moved on past that to understand it's not simply about me going to church to get my spiritual needs met. I gather with the church because I am part of the church, because my spiritual formation in Christ only happens as I'm connected with the body. I don't have a relationship with Jesus that's somehow disconnected from my relationship with His church. After all, the church is His bride. And so, those relationships go hand in hand with Christ and with the church. And I encourage you, if in your mind that's been the mentality, to leave that mentality behind and say, you know what, I want to understand how to have a relationship with Jesus that's completely interconnected with my relationship with the body of Christ, be it here at Sunnyside, if this is your home church, if you have another, then at that home church. That's meant to be expressed as we experience oneness in our gathering of communion. We're actually made into a family, right? So communion expresses the fact that we're a community and it helps make us into a community. Tied to that are these really sober words back in chapter 11, and I want to read from verse 27 this time, picking up from where we left off on the first point. So back up to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 27, here's what the Apostle Paul says. He says, anyone who eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord unworthily is guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. That's why you should examine yourself before eating the bread and drinking the cup. For if you eat the bread or drink the cup without honoring the body of Christ, you are eating and drinking God's judgment upon yourself. That's why many of you are weak and sick, and some have even died. But if you would examine ourselves, if we would examine ourselves, we would not be judged by God in this way. Yet when we are judged by the Lord, we are being disciplined so that we will not be condemned along with the world. 
So he says, when you take communion, there's an unworthy way to take it. That is, you're not recognizing the body of Christ. Well, what does that mean? Well, it doesn't simply mean you're not recognizing that Jesus, in fact, is the Christ and that He died for your sins, but it does mean that. And this is part of why communion is for believers, right? If Jesus Christ is not your Savior, you don't believe yet that He has died for your sins and made you a new person, then to take communion and to eat the bread that symbolizes what He's done for you and to take the cup would be premature. It's for believers. But as a believer, to take that bread and take that cup in an exclusively individualistic way without recognizing the fact that you are part of a body is also to take it unworthily. That's what he means. You're not recognizing that you're taking communion as a part of a body. Immediately in the context to this church in Corinth that Paul's writing to, there's conflict between people. People are not getting along. They're angry with each other. There's unforgiveness inside the body. And then people come together and they take communion as if they are one. And Paul's trying to get at the fact that to take it that way is unworthy. You're communicating that you're one with the body by taking it, but in action you're not. You're actually at odds with each other. And he says, if you do that, all you're doing is drinking and eating judgment on yourself. Because God will not have right, a broken up body pretending that it's one because it's hypocrisy. So, there is this sober aspect to communion where when we take communion, we check our hearts. He says, examine yourselves. Examine it for what? Say, is there anything that I have against the church, my church family? Is there anything that I'm angry about with an individual? Is there some unforgiveness that I need to extend to a person or to the church as a whole? I can't come up and take communion with a chip on my shoulder against the church. Does that make sense? We can't do that. I mean, we can if you want to drink judgment upon yourself and eat judgment upon yourself, you can. Why would we want to do that? It's serious what Paul says, right? Some of you are sick, you're weak. Some of you have even died because you have refused to make things right with people. So there's this also sober and serious side. And that's not bad. That's that's a good thing because it causes us to take that time to examine ourselves. So, I, I will park here for a little bit on purpose, because I want us to see how communion binds us together as the church, as the body of Christ. My memories as a child uh, from communion in church are, are good memories. Um, I grew up in a great church, so thankful for it. And when we would have communion, we, we had, it was a church that had a large communion table. You might have grown up in a church like that, big heavy wood table, and the, the, the bread and the juice and the trays, just like these, were, were set there in the morning. And the elders would come forward, and they'd, they'd prepare and serve communion. And uh, just to have a you know, clear picture of the elders gathered around the table. And... Uh, pastor would talk a little bit, and then he'd invite one of the elders to come and pray. And I can hear, I can hear the prayers of, you know, Mr. Cohn, Mr. Jansen, Mr. Weeb. I knew the elders, and uh, I knew what their prayers sounded like <laughs> as they prayed from month to month, and my dad was part of that. They all wore suits. I have a picture of their old, everybody wore a suit jacket, certainly on communion Sunday. 
and I was just young. These are memories from, you know, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12 years old. So I was a kid, but even as a child, I understood what we were doing something together, right? This was, this was my extended family when we shared communion. That's part of, at least, what's supposed to happen with us, that we sense and experience that being a part of God's family uniquely when we share communion, and I pray that that would be your experience. Third is forgiveness and covenant renewal from the Gospel of Matthew. I'll read to you from chapter 26. This is how Matthew records the Last Supper. In verse 26 of Matthew 26, or chapter 26, he says, as they were eating, Jesus took some bread and blessed it. Then he broke it in pieces and gave it to the disciples, saying, take this and eat it, for this is my body. Then he took a cup of wine and gave thanks to God for it. He gave it to them and said, each of you drink from it, for this is my blood, which confirms the covenant between God and his people. It is poured out as a sacrifice to forgive the sins of many. Do You see what he says about the cup, right? It confirms the covenant. This is the new covenant that God is making with his people my son's going to be sacrificed for your sins. You put your faith in him and you have new life. That's the covenant and the cup confirms it. The bread confirms it. And then he says, this cup is poured out for your sins. It represents my blood. He didn't pour the cup out on the table or anything. But he says, it symbolizes my blood which will be poured out. So every time when we take communion, we celebrate forgiveness. And we celebrate covenant renewal. That is, we celebrate the fact that Jesus died for our sins and that we have new life. We celebrate our salvation. We celebrate the covenant that we have with the Lord Jesus Christ, expressed in our baptism. That's why we're connecting the two, because baptism is a covenant ceremony. It's when we stand up and publicly say, I am in fact covenanting with the Lord to follow Him for the rest of my days. And we testify to that publicly and we're baptized publicly. And then every time we take communion, we celebrate our baptism again and say, yes, I made that com com commitment. Jesus, I'm following you again. Forgive me for the times when I failed, but I am following you again. And God renews that in our hearts. It fills us with confidence again. And again, that's why communion is for a believer, someone who has made the covenant. That's why we always give opportunity for you to respond if you've never made a decision to follow Jesus. That covenant remains undone for you, but today it can be done, and God can make it a covenant with you and bring you into His family and save you and forgive your sins. And then you can celebrate communion with joy and excitement. Next, it's nourishment and strengthening. It's nourishment and strengthening, and this is from the Gospel of John chapter 6. We read a couple of those verses at the beginning as we were preparing for our offering, and I just want to read a couple more of those verses where Jesus is teaching and identifying himself as the bread of life. So I'm reading from the Gospel of John, chapter 6, verse 47. He says, I tell you the truth, anyone who believes has eternal life. Anyone who believes, and of course he means in him, right? Anyone who believes in me has eternal life. Yes, I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate manna in the wilderness, but they all died. Anyone who eats the bread from heaven, however, will never die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Anyone who eats this bread will live forever, and this bread which I will offer so the world may live is my flesh, right? Just announcing, I'm going to give up my life, 
and I'm going to become the source of eternal life. I'm going to become the bread from heaven that satisfies you, satisfies us always. So we gain nourish and strength from communion when we honor and recognize that Jesus is the bread of life, right? We take that little piece. Jesus is my bread of life. He's your bread of life. He's our bread of life today and tomorrow and every day after that. And as we take communion together, we're encouraged and we're strengthened in our faith. And our renewal to experience Jesus as the bread of life grows for us. Lastly, there's anticipation and celebration. Anticipation and celebration. I'm going to read some scripture to you. You've got the references there. I'll read them out loud quickly. You don't have to look them up. Luke 22, this is Luke's gospel talking about that last supper. Here's how Jesus says it. I tell you now that I won't eat this meal again until its meaning is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Then he took a cup of wine. He gave thanks to God for it. Then he said, take this, share it amongst yourselves. For I will not drink wine again until the kingdom of God has come. I will not drink again until the kingdom's come. We often reference this when we're uh, teaching about recovery. And saying, uh, you know, Jesus has a 2,000-year chip. (laughs) No, there's no 2,000-year chip for Jesus. He doesn't need a chip. But Jesus is saying to his disciples, we're not celebrating again until I come back. And he's waiting for that, right? He's waiting and not celebrating until we're together again. That's an astonishing thing, that Jesus waits for that day. And looks forward to it. And so we anticipate that day when Jesus comes back every time we take communion. That day is described a little bit in Revelation chapter 19, verse 6 to 8. It says this, I heard again what sounded like the shout of a vast crowd or the roar of mighty ocean waves or the crash of loud thunder. Praise the Lord, for the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. Let us be glad and rejoice and let us give honor to Him, for the time has come for the wedding feast of the Lamb. That's what Jesus is waiting for, right? His wedding feast. He's the lamb. We're his bride, the church. We'll be together at the table. Then he'll lift up the glass again and say, let's celebrate. That's what we look forward to when we take communion, that we will be with the Lord Jesus and celebrate with him. And the meaning of what we're doing here will be fulfilled. We're trying to understand a little bit more of what it means today but there's no way we can understand fully what it means until we sit with Jesus and celebrate it with Him. Then it all will come together, and the power and importance of what we're doing today will be crystal clear to us. So our commitment to communion is more than just a religious habit, right? This is something that we do that's actually filled with power by the words of the Lord Jesus Himself. And I want to encourage us to take it in this way. In the same way that the Bible is more than a book, in the same way that baptism is more than just getting wet, communion is more than just a little piece of bread and a tiny cup of juice. It is a spiritual act from the heart, connecting to the Lord, and the Lord responds to that with power in our lives in so many ways as we've seen. So I encourage us to take it in that way today. I invite you to stand, invite the worship team to come on up. They're going to lead us in a couple of songs. We're going to take some time now to take communion.